we are. We're at the center of our lives. And then we just check boxes a couple times a week. God wants us to be completely sold out for him. He wants our entire lives. Brent Bilby did great lessons a moment ago in this very classroom on selfishness. And I felt like every, a lot of the things he said, it, it really felt a bridge to what I'm going to be talking about with pride. I looked up some definitions for pride uh, on Google, and here's what it came up with. Haughty, vain, boastful, arrogant, disdainful, insolent, high-minded. Do any of us, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, want to be known by any of these descriptive words? Absolutely not. There's no way in the world we want to be thought of as haughty or vain or boastful or arrogant. In fact, it says in James 4, 8, that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do we want to be in opposition to the creator of the universe? No way. But I'm telling you, we as men struggle with that five-letter word, with pride. And I want to talk about how to recognize pride this morning or this afternoon now. And I want to talk about ways we can overcome it with God's help. Here's our key verse, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24. I love this passage of scripture in Jeremiah. And this is from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches, all forms of pride. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken to truly know me. This should be the goal of our life, to truly know God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And if we're centered on truly knowing God, then it makes it so easy to accomplish the second commandment, which is to love others as ourselves, to truly know me. We did a class on heaven and hell back a few years ago in Leaders for Christ. And I'll tell you, I asked the students what they thought was the scariest part of hell. And you know, there's all these descriptive words for it. Uh, eternal fire, lake of fire, gnashing of teeth for eternity. That sounds horrible. All those things sound horrible. But the one thing that I'll never forget is one of our students saying that we would never know God again. That we would never be in the presence of our loving Father's arms again. That scares the fool out of me. And we do not want to be in opposition to God, but we want to truly know Him to lay aside our pride and give it all to the Father of glory. Here's three ways to recognize pride. It's pride when we improperly estimate our worth. Let's talk college football for a moment. Let's talk... Uh, NIL. Let's talk the transfer portal. Does anybody have any idea how many uh, student athletes are in the transfer portal right now? 
postseason? Thousands. Thousands. It was, I thought it was about 3,000. Somebody said 7,000. I'm like, that's not right. But it's about 3,500 student athletes that hit the transfer portal. I mean, there's only like 100 per team. That's like, a t like 35 teamfuls of student athletes from Division I schools have emptied out of their schools. That means when you hit the transfer portal, you have to give up your scholarship, right? You gotta give it up and then enter the portal. And do you know how many of those that enter the portal get picked up by a college or have interest shown in them and then they get to transfer over? Less than 40%. So you're taking a big chance on giving up your scholarship and not getting picked up at all by another college football team. It's improperly estimating your worth. There's also a number of undergraduates. I think there was about 220 undergraduate student athletes last year in college football that said, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and give up my college eligibility and declare for the NFL draft. And out of those 220, do you know how many were drafted? About 40 of them. So that's, that's horrible, like that's ridiculous. They're giving up all that because they improperly estimated their worth. As Christ followers, I love this passage in Romans, Romans 12, verse three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. God gives a sound judgment if we Think of him first and not ourselves. Finishing off this verse, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Improper worth exhibits as arrogance, as boasting, look at me, right? Self-righteousness. We want a form of righteousness that's all about God's righteousness. God makes things right in our lives. He gives us his word so that our lives will be right and pure and humble and not filled with pride. And then improper worth also exhibits itself as haughtiness. I love this passage right here. When it comes to our accomplish, I think there's so many things you guys can accomplish academically or athletically uh, or towards your future career. And those are all beautiful things. But let somebody else honor you for those things. Don't boast about it yourself. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 2, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Now, it's okay to make mention of it on social media. Some, some, somebody may have just posted like, Hey, I made Dean's List or this thing happened or this great. That's, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're constantly talking about ourselves and our own accomplishments. Let somebody else talk about those things. And really our focus shouldn't be on ourselves anyway. It should be on what we are accomplishing for God and his kingdom. Amen, church? Amen. It's all about glorifying God and giving him control of lives. It is sure hard to give control up as men. But that's exactly what God does. He looks us square in the face and says, give it up, give it to me. And if you really want to be a man, if you really want to be known as a man of God, give control to me. Those are words from God. It's pride when, number two, we measure our worth by what we own. 
Now, I struggle with this. I'm going to be very honest and transparent with you guys. Uh, as a minister, I have no 401k set up. I have no, and I'm 54 years old right now, so I'm like, you know, I want to do ministry till I'm old and I just can't do it anymore. Till I'm a walker or Julie's toting me around in a wheelchair, and I, I, just, I, I just want to do ministry for as long as I possibly can. Uh, and I, and I struggle with the thought of like not having enough to retire on or not being able to provide for my family after uh, full-time work is done whenever that is whatever that looks like so I, I try to focus on saving and, and making sure I'm still giving and tithing but saving and making sure that I have enough for retirement there's nothing wrong with that we should all do those things as Brent mentioned earlier but at the same time it shouldn't be the focus of our lives. It shouldn't be the central focus to where it takes away from glorifying God and giving to others and helping others. Uh, the rich young ruler. Here's a perfect example of pride based on possessions and becoming idolatry. Here's the rich young ruler. He has everything. He's keeping the commandments of God. It's not like he's not. If you read that story as Jesus describes it. He's doing everything right. And he says, you know, plus I have all these things. What else do I need to do, Jesus? What else can I do or should I do? And Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, If thou would be perfect, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Everything you have, give to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And do you know what happens with the rich young ruler, ruler? What his response is? He drops his head and walks, his, walks away. He can't do it. He cannot do what Jesus asked him to do. To sell all his possessions, give it all up, and come and follow him. And so for us, what does that mean? That means we need to be centered on Christ. That means we not, need not be centered on the possessions or the things that we own. But we need to be willing to give it up and give it all for God. And to share those things. And to honor God with all things. Because all the riches, all the things that we have in our possession come from God to begin with. 1 John 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. In Psalm chapter 52 and verse 7, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted, it sounds like Solomon earlier, when Matthew was describing it, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, was strong in his evil desire. Do you trust more in the things that you guys own? or the things that you have in your possession than you do God? Are we quick to give up things that we have? Are we quick to, if we see somebody in need, uh, help them out? We were doing a Coats for the Homeless drive recently. Actually, we just did this Thursday night where we got coats that were donated by members of our church family. And uh, we went out uh, to uh, the poor part of town and to where they have a, a homeless shelter, the St. Francis House. 
and we were giving out coats and hats and other things that those that were out in the cold, especially with this cold front uh, coming. I thought we already survived Florida winter. Uh, I thought it was like four days in December. I was like, oh man, it dropped into the 30s and 40s. Uh, okay, hopefully we're well past that. Well, it's back here again. So sorry that it's cooler for you guys this weekend. But we're giving out these coats and hats and things that people need, especially if they're sleeping outside in these conditions. And uh, we had given out all the coats and everything. And then I was heading back to my car. My campus ministry doesn't know this part of the story. Uh, and Julie had given me a new uh, jacket for Christmas. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. It's nice, snug and warm. I don't have it with me right now, and I'll tell you why. Uh, one person came out of the woodwork after we'd given out everything, and he's like, hey, I didn't get one. Do you have anything left? And I'm like, no, or I, uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, here, uh, I think this is about your side. Maybe it's a little snug for you. He goes, no, no, I think that'll fit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I gave up my jacket that my wife had just gotten me for Christmas. And I don't say that to boast, but I say that to say, to say I felt bad because I was a bit resistant. It's just stuff. Julie can go buy me another one. Or I can go buy me another one. Whatever. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that I felt that tug on my heart to do what was right, to do what Jesus would do. And I didn't initially do it, and that made me feel bad. But after thinking, I mean, it was like five seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And to see him walk off with that coat, I was like, that's great. That's, that's, that's it. That's, that's where my heart needs to be. Uh, so pride is one of those things that is difficult when we wrap it in our possessions. But it all comes from God. And then we know it's pride, thirdly, when we practice self-sufficiently. Self-sufficiency. How many of you guys want to be self-sufficient? Now be honest. Raise your hand. How many of you want to... And there is nothing wrong with being, now catch this, with being sufficient, but not self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency, as defined by the world, is taking care of me by my own power and strength. What God wants, what Jesus wants, what his spirit wants for you is to be sufficient in him. So knock out self-sufficiency. We need to be sufficient as men, but we need to find our sufficiency in God through Christ. Because in Romans 1.22 it says, professing to be wise, they became fools because they became self-sufficient rather than sufficient Christ. Here's the passage. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. Because of these... Surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from being coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul describes it later as being jars of clay being able to be molded by God, by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. We need to have, as followers of God, as men in Him, a transparency about us, just like Jesus did, 
We need to be transparent with God in praying to Him. And when there are things that cause us to be prideful, like our power or possessions or prestige, we need to be able to give it up to God, to admit our weaknesses to Him, to be able to admit our weaknesses to others, to other men in our campus ministry, and to let God mold us and make us, and, and that we become the sufficient men of God because we find a sufficiency in Christ. I want to use an example of three chairs. I only have two chairs up here. Let me steal this one. So we have three chairs up here, and I'm going to say these three chairs represent our lives. Uh, and you guys are sitting in one of these chairs this morning. You're either in this first chair here, and we're going to say this first chair is you at the center of your life. You're sitting in this chair. You are at the driver's seat to your life. This is you, and Christ is not in the picture at all, okay? And then this is a place where if you are here at family vacation and you do not have Christ in your life here, yet you are in the right place because I hope you find Christ here, and I hope that you talk to other men of God, uh, to other men who have God in their life, and that they will study with you, that they will pray over you, and that you can find God this weekend. Now let's move over to this second chair. This second chair is you sharing your life with Christ. Come over here, David. We're going to say David is Jesus and I'm me. Jesus with hoodies and a headphone. All right, sit down. Nope. You can sit. Let's, let's share the chair. <laughs> This is us sharing our lives with Christ, but Christ is not at the center of our lives. That we have Christ in our lives some, and that sometimes he's not, and then, well, it's back to Sunday worship. Sometimes he is, and then get off. Sometimes he's not. Oh wait, I really want this woman, she's not of God, as Matthew talked about earlier. Uh, sorry, Jesus, you can just go over there. Okay, maybe I've said and fallen short. Come back. <laughs> and then we, we share the chair of our lives with God, with Christ. Make sense? And then this third chair is, and this is where we need to be, not sharing the chair. Come here, David. All right. All right. <laughs> this is where you have a seat. You take the throne. This is where God wants our lives to be. That Christ is... Not just sharing our lives, but he is our life. That he is on the throne. That we are humbly serving him. And that I'm willing to give up the steering wheel of my life and give up my pride and give up my self-sufficiency and give up me being the center of attention of my life. And that I am willing to you know, <laughs> sit on Jesus, to sit with Jesus, and to know that he is at the center of my life. Thank you, David. Sorry. I gave a few pounds over Thanksgiving. All right. So now, oh, before I move into the last part of this, I wanted to mention this quote from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote. Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance. That means we are wasting our time here this weekend at family vacation. You are wasting your time in your campus ministry 
if Christianity is false. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. What you are doing here, right here, right now, this weekend, is of infinite importance. If Christianity is true, and heaven is real, and God is real, and Jesus is real, and you have the Holy Spirit with you today, this is of the utmost importance, and we need to tell the world. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And that goes back to the second chair right here. It cannot be moderately important. If you want to knock pride, sinful pride out of your life, do not get stuck in the second chair. You need to be over here in the third chair with Christ being the center of our lives, with our sufficiency found in him, with our joy, with our hope, with our strength, with everything we have being over there on David Bird's, I mean, on Jesus' lap. Right. <laughs> so here we go. In dealing with pride, God wants us to rely on these six things. His word, his provision, his timing, his mercy, his son, his church. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to leave the screen, but we're going to talk about each of these six things so you'll still be able to write it down. Rely on his word. Job 37, verse 24. <laughs> Therefore men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. He doesn't want us to find what we think are the answers to life in us always having to have the answer. But knowing that every single answer. Somebody hold up their Bible right here in the front row. Hold it up. That we find, every, keep it up, that we find every answer to life in his living word. Amen, church? Amen. That's where it's got to be. Rely on his word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You're hearing the word a lot this weekend. And you can hear the word anytime you want through your phone Bible, through your physical Bible. Get into God's word and let it flourish in your life. Pay attention and that will knock the pride out of your life. This is my mom's favorite scripture and it's still written up. My mom passed away a year and a half ago now. But this is her favorite scripture it's written in her handwriting on our fridge at home and it's never coming down unless that fridge burns down uh to the ground but it's this proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 trust the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight it's not he might make your path straight or he will probably make your path straight he will Make your paths straight. Amen, church. God will make your path straight. And it will happen in ways you don't expect. It'll be better than you expect. I was just talking with a brother uh, here uh, earlier. And he's talking about a girl that he brought to prom here. But that, uh, that didn't work out. And she ended up actually dancing with another guy by the end of the night. And that was just a mess. And, and I was talking about, you know, how God uh, provided, I thought was my future wife. I was engaged to somebody prior to Julie, 
and that didn't work out. It was it was a horrible breakup, and I don't even know if I got I don't think I got the ring back. That was terrible too. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, and she's like on her third marriage, and and she's left the church, and she's left, and I was like, oh, thank you God for protecting me, and thank you for leading me to a godly woman who put you first and foremost in life and now we have children that were raising at the church you know god protected me but in the time in the moment i didn't know better but god knew better god's word will protect you but it won't always be the answers you expect it'll be better than you expect i promise you that rely on his provision first corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Don't stand on anything other than God's word. And, and don't stand on anything other than Jesus Christ. Find your pride in him. Relying on his provision, um, we oppose spiritual forces. There's only one enemy. The enemy is not yourself. The enemy is not another person uh, that you are at odds with. The enemy, and there's only one, it's the devil. And you are in spiritual warfare. And when uh, Paul describes the uh, pieces of armor uh, for building up our strength in God, uh, he mentions one piece of armor in Ephesians chapter 6 that actually goes into detail. And that one piece of armor is the shield of faith. And that shield of faith in God, relying on his provision, it says with it, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And what are those flaming arrows? Well, initially I always thought those flaming arrows were just simply sin. But it's not just ridding our lives of sin. It's ridding our lives of doubt. It's ridding our lives of Fear, it's ridding our lives of pride, and it's letting God sit at the center of our lives so that we can truly extinguish all the flaming arrows of the one enemy, Satan. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, I have a little playbook here. Since we'll be watching a little football this weekend. Uh, some of the guys getting together, watching it in the conference room or in our rooms. And I'll tell you, uh, I, we used to have a pretty good coach. Well, actually, a couple good coaches. Not maybe good morally, but we had some good coaches in U the University of Florida that won us a couple of national titles. And uh, I still think back to that time and like, oh, yeah, we're still that team. No, we're not. You know, we're terrible now. <laughs> but we've had a couple losing seasons in a row. Uh, so I'm really a fan of laundry, of orange and blue laundry. Of that, of those Gators of old, but uh, not so much the analytics and the coaches that we have now. And uh, you know, no matter who you're a fan of, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But with God's playbook, hold up that Bible again, front row. With God's playbook, you will never lose. You will never lose. One way I know, out of so many different ways, I know that God's word is true in our lives is the very fact that I've never had any regrets from following God's word. You will never say from following God's word and his provision 
that, man, that was a stupid idea. Why did I follow God? But I've had plenty of regrets from doing things my way instead of God's way. You'll never have your head over the toilet the next morning from a bad decision the night before by following God's word, but you will or you might from doing things your way instead of God's way. Don't let pride get in the way. Rely on his timing. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. God's timing is perfect. And God's timing is beautiful. And I talk with brothers in our campus ministry all the time that are like, well, you know, God's timing is like, uh, doesn't seem perfect because I still don't have what I, I'd hope God would give me by now. The right wife or the right career or the right whatever it is, fill in the blank. But I'm telling you, if you trust God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, His timing is going to be perfect. It might not happen this day or this week or this month or this year, but I'm telling you, trust God, give Him your all, and His timing is always going to be perfect for your life. And if we knew what that timing was, then we wouldn't have to have faith. But guess what? That's where faith comes in. Rely on His mercy to overcome pride. I love this passage of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of our almighty God. Not by works. It's not about our power. It's not about our pride. It's not about what we can do. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are, and it says in verse 10, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So that's not, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't want us to do good works, but we do those good works as a result of giving up our pride, giving up our selfish ambition, giving up all those things that would impede our lives or let Satan open up a doorway into our lives, but giving it all up so that God may do some great and mighty things through each and every one of your lives, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Rely on His Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Again, for, power, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about. You want to boast about something? Boast about your weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in each and every one of us, as we read earlier. I love this passage. Well, not this, but what it leads to. When Peter got down out of the boat, it says in Matthew chapter 14, he walked out on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So if you fast forward to post-resurrection of Christ, Jesus is walking around. 
and he's hanging out with his disciples and I love because he, he, he just appears out of nowhere. He just like pops in and pops out post-resurrection and he pops in to where they were fishing offshore about 100 yards and he says, hey, you guys have any luck fishing? They're like, no, we haven't caught anything all night. And he goes, why don't you try to throw your nets over the right side? And they're like, oh, why didn't we think of that? Like, we, we've been fishing all night. We've probably done right side, left side, back side, front side. We've done it all. But they go ahead and they throw out their nets on the right side again and catch a ridiculous amount of fish. In fact, the Bible says exactly how many fish they caught. And it was so cool. And then Peter recognizes Jesus and he runs out to him. He runs out to him. A hundred yards offshore. Does that mean he's running on the water? Is he trudging through the water? We don't know for sure. But we know that Jesus, I mean that Peter at this point in time, is now centered completely on God. Forget that lack of faith. He runs to Jesus. On the water, through the water, whatever. He's focused on the right thing now, which is Christ being at the center of his life, relying on God's Son. Next, rely on his church. Rely on his church. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and expanding the borders of those kingdom, of his kingdom as a campus ministry, as a church family, as ministries in different states, we know that God will add to that. And he will add the spiritual things we need in our lives to each and every one of us. And I love, and I'm going to close out with this passage right here, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says this, and sometimes we miss an obscure passage like this, but it's so good when we rely on Christ to grow His church. It says here, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand. Paul's basically saying to the church, you guys want to grow individually? You want to grow together? You want to reach out to that community in Corinth and bring more people to know Christ? You want to do that? Then as your faith continues to grow, we'll have more opportunities to expand that ministry because you are giving up your pride, your selfish ambitions, anything that you want, and you're centered on what God wants, and he will grow the church. And that should be our goal as disciples of Christ, is to give up that pride and to give it all to God so that not only we grow, but that we bust out of these walls the next time we're here in Panama City, and that we're able to bring friends with us that come to know Jesus too, and that make him Lord of their lives, as well as him being Lord of your life, of being in that third chair. We need to go find the first chair people. We need to slap around the second chair people, <laughs> including ourselves if that's where we're at, and get to be in that third chair. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time. And uh, Lord, I think we have a little bit of time. Yes, we do. Uh, for some Q&A. And Lord, uh, wow, so hard to give up pride, Father. Uh, it's so difficult to give up 
the things that we want as men, the things that we want for our lives. Uh, and it's, it's great to have goals, Father, and academic goals and athletic goals and, and, and goals for our future family, for finding that right wife and raising great kids and having that great career. But Lord, uh, it's so easy to center on how we can do it and doing it on our timing rather than your perfect timing and your provisions, Father, and everything you do for our life. Help us to make you the centerpiece of our life, Father, and Lord, to help expand the borders of our heart, to help expand the borders of the kingdom through uh, us sharpening one another in our campus ministries, Father, to go out and reach a lost and dying world around us. Help us to be those men and not men that are selfish, not men that are prideful or boastful or arrogant, but help us to boast only about one thing and one thing only, and that's you and the difference that you're making in our life, Father. See your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, what questions do you guys have when it comes to pride? We have maybe like five or ten minutes. We did that at the end of our selfishness class uh, a minute ago with Brent. But what questions do you guys have over these last five or ten minutes? that we're gathered together in this room that maybe I can answer or that one of your fellow brothers of Christ can answer. Questions on pride or the struggle with pride? Yes. Um, I don't know if this is directly related to pride. I was wondering if I could still ask it. Yes. In regards to this last question um, in the growth of the church and like expanding uh, like God expanding our church and growing uh, what we're doing as a movement. What, what are some of like the essential things, like ways that maybe we can like, humble ourselves, or how we can even like let God lead our movement? Uh, I feel like your. Uh, did everybody hear his question? Okay. As far as God expanding the borders of the church, uh, where we're at, and and how we can do a more effective a job setting aside that pride. Yeah. For I'll answer, and then I want, I'd love to hear some of your answers. Um, I know that we have to have a, a, a better measure of transparency within our churches. Uh, that you know, sometimes we struggle with those secret sins like lust. Uh, I was just, uh, there's an app that I wanted to recommend uh, when it comes to lust, by the way, and that's uh, called uh, Swipe Right. Uh, it's by a guy named Levi Lusco. But if you get on your app store and, and there's a Swipe Right app, uh, it basically, you wake up in the morning, swipe right, and it throws scripture at you all day long on how God can help you deal with lust. But to answer your question, I think it's all those little things that add up to the big thing. We can't grow as a church unless we're transparent with God, unless we're transparent with others. And I'm telling you, when you have that measure of transparency with the world around you, with issues like lust, then... God can do amazing things through you when you're rooted in his word and when you're really actively sharing his word uh, with others. When we're not so much concerned about getting the A in our class and we're more concerned about the person in our classroom getting to heaven or going to hell, when that's our main concern, then we're going to be more open and transparent just as we can be within our campus ministries and should be with the world around us because that's really, I feel like, one of the main ways we can expand the boards of the kingdom is through transparency with the world going, you know what, I struggle, I struggled with the same thing, I still struggle, but through God's power, 
through his sufficiency, I'm able to make it. And giving the world that option to come respond to him. Uh, what do you guys think? How else can we expand the borders of the kingdom when it comes to uh, pride in our life? We're dealing with pride. I think like being less fearful of calling each other out. Yes. Like, if you see something like, and it's like an actual pressing issue, but like if you actually care about the person, like calling them out rather than just like tiptoeing around it. Yeah. So I know like that's something like for me that like I do like deeply struggle with like being a prideful person. But like when people are like consistently calling me out and they're like people that like I trust, like I know that it's definitely like easier to put my guard down and like be like whatever, I guess I was wrong. Yeah, when you guys truly have a, a presence in each other's lives, and I know Jackson's surrounded by a number of men, including his own family, that will call him out. And I have those same people in my life, in our campus ministry, in my own family that will call me out. I, I feel like having that definitely helps because then we're able to also do the same for others because we love them, because we want to see them centered on the right things, because it's the little things that add up to the big thing. You want an active, growing, expansive ministry in your church, then all the little things that you do make a difference, and all the little things we do together make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others in the world. Yes, JT? Uh, I think also going along with what he was saying, we also need to have the strength to receive mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. the, the maturity to receive that criticism and take it to heart and change from it, rather than seeing it as an attack firing back right and just, you know I know there's in the modern day church there's a lot of arguments over stuff like that and they'll be like oh are you calling me out or are you attacking me mm -hmm. but no we're trying to help each other to grow that's right to maturity to see that that's right yeah that is a very 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 good point JT uh, on uh, building the bridge from what Jackson just said to be able to receive the call out to go, okay, you know what, you're right. Uh, and then setting aside our pride because we get very defensive as men. You know, somebody calls us out, we're like, hey, what? what? <laughs> but, but you, <laughs> no, 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 forget that, but you business. If it's truly something we're doing that's sinful in the eyes of God, then please call me out. Let's be able to receive that and receive it in love so that we can let God change our lives and that we can then go out and turn and help change the lives of those in the world that are lost just as we were at one time. Questions? Yes. Dave? Um, still following off of uh, what these two are saying. Um, when, you are, when you are the person that's calling out, do it with discernment, mm -hmm. not just as an attack towards that right. person. Right. So that when, they, when you have to receive it, mm -hmm. you can do it knowing that they're actually, they actually care about you rather right. than actually being an attack. Right. Because um, as, as he's spoken about, there are people in other churches or many, many yeah. aspects of it that have been called out, but they've done, but the person who's calling him out done it in the wrong way. Right. Call him out in, in over a multitude of people rather than doing it how it's supposed to be. Pulling them aside, talking to them, mm -hmm. if you can't, if they're not receiving your word, grab someone else. And if that's not happening, grab an elder and you all talk about that's it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Jesus says, do everything out of love. Mm -hmm. Paul says, do everything out of love. And we won't or aren't judging when we're doing things out of love. 
I always tell my nine-year-old daughter Mackenzie, well, does daddy care more about you by saying not to do these things, by saying something rather than nothing? Should I have said nothing? She goes, you're okay. <laughs> okay, dad. Yeah, you're supposed to say something. I'm like, that's right, because I love you. And if we love one another truly as brothers in Christ, then we're going to be able to have those hard conversations and give and receive and help really each other grow like we're supposed to. Because guess what God says to us? He says the hard things. If you really open up the word and let it penetrate your heart, that's hard. Those are hard things that God says. It's easy to go, oh, you know, there's, there's, there's the feel-good passages. But then when he says to go love your enemy and turn the other cheek, that's hard. But when we do that, we give an opportunity for Christ to bring our enemy over to our side, to God's side. And then everybody wins.